section twenty three of little journeys to the homes of american statesmen this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org recording by betty b little journeys to the homes of american statesmen by albert hubbard section twenty three william h seward part two one of seward's first efforts on becoming governor was to ensure a common school education among the children of every class and especially among the foreign population of large cities to this end he advocated a distribution of public funds among all schools established with that object and if he were alive to-day it is quite needless to say he would not belong to the a p a nor to any other secret society he knew too much of all religions to have complete faith in any yet his appreciation of the fact that the catholics minister to the needs of a class that no other denomination reaches or can control was outspoken and plain this with his connection with the anti-masonic party brought upon his name a stigma that was at last to defeat him for the presidency seward's clear insight into practical things backed by the quiet working energy of his nature brought about many changes and the changes he effected and the reforms he inaugurated must ever rank his name high among statesmen by his influence the law's delay in the course of chancery was curtailed and this prepared the way for radical changes to the constitution he inaugurated the geological survey that led to making potsdam outcrop classic and medina sandstone a product that is so known wherever a man goes forth in the fields of earth carrying a geologist's hammer largely through his efforts a safe and general banking system was brought about and the establishment of a lunatic asylum was one of the best items to his credit during that first term as governor but there was one philological change that proved too great even for his generalship the word lunacy as we know comes from luna the belief in the good old days being that the moon exercised a profound influence on the wits of sundry people i'm told that the idea still holds good in certain quarters and that if the wind is east and the moon shows a horn on which you can hang a flat-iron certain persons are looked upon askance and the children cautioned to avoid them seward said that insane people were simply those who were mentally ill and that hospital was the proper term but the classicist retorted nay nay william henry you have had your way in many things and here we will now have ours it has taken us full a century officially to make the change and the plain folks from the hills still refuse to ratify it and will for many a lustrum it was during seward's administration that the debtor's prison was done away with and it was too through his earnest recommendation that the last trace of law for slaveholding was wiped from the statute books of the state of new york the question of slavery was taken up most exhaustively in what was known as the virginia controversy this interesting correspondence can be seen in a stout volume in most public libraries it is a series of letters that passed between governor seward of new york and the governor of virginia as to the requisition of two persons in new york charged by the governor of virginia with abducting slaves seward made the patent point and backed it up with a forest of reasons in politest english that the accused persons being charged with abducting slaves and there being no such thing as slaves known in new york 
no person in new york could be apprehended for stealing slaves for slaves were things that had no existence then did the governor of virginia admit that slaves could not be abducted in new york but he proceeded to explain in lusty tomes that slavery legally existed in virginia and that if slaves were abducted in virginia the criminal nature of the act could not be shaken off because the accused changed his geographical base seward was a prince of logicians the subtleties of reasoning and the smoke of rhetoric were to his fancy and although there is not a visible smile in the whole virginia controversy i cannot but think that his sleeves were puffed with laughter as he searched the universe for reasons to satisfy the haughty first families of virginia and all the while please note that he held the alleged abductors safe and secure against harm's way in this correspondence he placed himself on record as an abolitionist of the abolitionists and the name of seward became listed then and there for vengeance or immortality the subject had been forced upon him and he then expressed the sentiment that he continued to voice until eighteen hundred sixty five that america could not exist half free and half slave it must be a land of slaveholders and slaves or a land of free men he was fully and irrevocably committed to the cause in eighteen hundred forty he was re-elected governor the second administration was marked as was the first by a vigorous policy of pushing forward public improvements at the close of his second term seward found his personal affairs in rather an unsettled condition the expenses of official position having exceeded his income he had had a goodly taste of the ingratitude of republics and philosopher though he was he was yet too young to know that his experience in well-doing was not unique a fact he came to comprehend full well in later years and so he did that very human thing declared his intention of retiring permanently from public life once back at auburn clients flocked to him and he took his pick of business and yet we find that public affairs were in his mind vexed questions of state policy were brought to him to decide and journeys were made to ohio and michigan in the interests of men charged with slave-stealing there was little money in such practice and small honors but his heart was in the work in eighteen hundred forty four seward entered with much zest into the canvass in behalf of henry clay for president as he thought clay's election would surely lead the way to general emancipation in eighteen hundred forty eight he supported general taylor with equal energy when taylor was elected there proved to be a great deal of opposition to him among the members from the south in both the senate and the house of representatives the administration felt the need of being backed by strong men in the senate men who could think on their feet and carry a point when necessary against the opposition that sought to confuse and embarrass the friends of the administration with tireless windmill elocution from washington came the urgent request that seward should be sent to the united states senate in eighteen hundred forty nine he was chosen senator and from the first became the trusted leader of the administration party the year after seward's election to the senate president taylor died and vice president fillmore who had the happiness to live in the village of east aurora new york succeeded to the office but seward still remained leader of the anti-slavery party seward's second term as united states senator closed in eighteen hundred sixty one in eighteen hundred fifty five 
when his first term expired there was a very strenuous effort made against his re-election his strong and continued anti-slavery position had caused him to be thoroughly hated both north and south he was spoken of as a seditious agitator and a dangerous man but in spite of opposition he was again sent back to washington small slim gentle modest and low-voiced he was pointed out in pennsylvania avenue as one who reads much and sees quite through the deeds of men men who are well traduced and hotly denounced are usually pretty good quality no better encomium is needed than the detraction of some people and men who are well hated also have friends who love them well thus does the law of compensation ever live in eighteen hundred fifty six there was a goodly little demonstration in favor of seward for president but the idea of running such a radical for the chief office of the people was quickly downed and seward himself knew the temper of the times too well to take the matter very seriously but the years between eighteen hundred fifty six and eighteen hundred sixty were years of agitation and earnest thought and the idea that slavery was merely a local question was getting both depolarized and dehorned the non-slaveholding north was rubbing its sleepy eyes and asking who is this man seward anyway the belief was growing that seward garrison sumner and phillips were something more than self-seeking agitators and many declared them true patriots in every town and city in every northern state political clubs sprang into being and their battle cry was seward it seemed to be a foregone conclusion that seward would be the next president when the convention met the first ballot showed one hundred seventy three votes for seward and one hundred two for lincoln the rest scattering but seward's friends had marshalled their entire strength all the rest was opposition while lincoln was an unknown quantity when the news went forth that lincoln was nominated seward received the tidings in his library at auburn and the myth-makers have told us that he cried aloud and that the carved lions on his gate-posts shed salty tears but seward knew the opposition to his name and was of too stern a moral fibre to fix his heart upon the result of a wire-pulling convention the motto of his life had been be prepared for the unexpected it may be that the lions on the gate-post shed tears and it is possible there was weeping in the seward household but not by seward he entered upon a hearty and vigorous campaign in support of lincoln making a tour through the west and being greeted everywhere with an enthusiasm that rivaled that shown for the candidate seward said to his wife when the news came that lincoln was nominated he will be elected but he will have to face the greatest difficulties and carry the greatest burdens that ever a man has been called to bear he will need me but look you my dear i will not serve under him i must be at the head or nowhere lincoln knew seward and seward didn't know lincoln and so after the convention lincoln journeyed down east it took two days to go from chicago to buffalo and there were no sleeping cars and then lincoln went on from buffalo to auburn another day's journey lincoln wore his habitual duster and the tall hat a little the worse for wear he telegraphed seward he was coming and of course seward met him at the station in auburn lincoln got off the car alone unattended carrying his carpet-bag homemade with the initials a l embroidered on the side by the fair hands of fanny anna rebecca todd seward and his two sons william and frederick met the coming president 
and the boys laughed at the dusty uncouth sad and awkward individual six feet five who disembarked the carriage was waiting but lincoln refused to ride saying boys let's walk and they walked up the hill in through past the stone gateposts where the lion stood that shed tears seward ran ahead into the house and said to his wife look you my dear we have misjudged this man do not laugh he is the greatest man in the world three months later seward met lincoln by appointment in chicago and from that time on to the day of lincoln's death seward served his chief with hands and feet with eyes and ears and with brain and soul when lincoln was elected his wisdom was at once manifest in securing seward as secretary of state the record of those troublous times and the masterly way in which seward served his country are too vivid in the minds of men to need reviewing here but the regard of lincoln for this man who so well complimented his own needs is worthy of our remembrance seward was the only member of lincoln's first cabinet who stood by him straight through and entered the second early in april eighteen hundred sixty five seward met with a serious accident by being thrown from his carriage and dashed against the curbstone one arm and both jaws were fractured and besides he was badly bruised in other parts of his body on april thirteenth lincoln returned from his trip to richmond where he had had an interview with grant that evening he walked over from the white house to seward's residence the stricken man was totally unable to converse but lincoln sitting on the edge of the bed and holding the old man's thin hands told in solemn serious monotone of the ending of the war of what he had seen and heard of the plans he had made for sending soldiers home and providing for an army whipped and vanquished and of what was best to do to bind up a nation's wounds five years before these men had stood before the world as rivals then they joined hands as friends and during the four years of strife and blood had met each day and advised in counsel concerning every great detail their opinions often differed widely but there was always frank expression and in the main their fears and doubts and hopes had all been won but now at last the smoke had cleared away and they had won the victory had been too dearly bought for proud boast or vain exultation but victory still it was and as the strong and homely lincoln told the tale the stricken man could answer back only by pressure of a hand at last the presence of the nurse told lincoln it was time to go in grave jest he half apologized for his long stay and told of a man in sangamon county who used to say there is no medicine like good news and rumor has it that he then stooped and kissed the sick man's cheek and then he went his way the next night at the same hour a man entered the seward home saying that he had been sent with messages by the doctor being refused admittance to the sick chamber he drew a pistol and endeavored to shoot seward's son who guarded the door but being foiled in this he crushed the young man's skull with a heavy weapon and springing over his body dashed at the emaciated figure of seward with uplifted dagger a dozen times he struck at the face and throat and breast of the almost dying man and then thinking he had done his work made rapidly away at the same time linked by fate in a sort of poetic justice with the thought that if one deserved death so did the other hate had with sure aim sent an assassin's bullet home and lincoln died weeks passed and the strong vitality that had served seward in such good stead 
did not forsake him men of his stamp are hard to kill on a beautiful may day seward so reduced that a woman carried him was taken out on the veranda of his house and watched that solid mass of glittering steel and faded blue that moved through pennsylvania avenue in triumphal march sherman with head uncovered rode down to seward's home saluted and then back to join his goodly company and many others of lesser note did the same health and strength came slowly back and happy was the day when he was carried to the office of secretary of state and propped in his chair again began his work another president had come but meet it was that the secretary of state should still hold his place seward lived full eleven years after that seemingly dragging with unquenched spirit that slashed and broken form but the glint did not fade from his eye nor did the proud head lose its poise he died in his office among his books and papers sane and sensible up to the very moment when his spirit took its flight end of section twenty three